0: Welcome to the 84th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, anything you can enjoy in the safety and comfort of your own home with the consent of your friends and other participants. I'm Paul Jean. <laughs> I can't remember my name. Joined the uh, opposite with, with me by me. Uh here in the room is Quentin Smith hello hello paul oh, dear. Uh,
1: you're not going to give the people uh the knowledge they need i think to appreciate this podcast intro because you've just been to the dentist and half of your mouth is numb i a
0: third of uh, my mouth is numb and i don't know what it looks like from the outside but i feel like I, i'm moving my mouth like 50% more than normal <laughs>
1: Like a sort of Muppet or something where when they talk, they open their mouth like in half of their head. Opens.
0: I like I feel. I, uh, I feel like I have to think about where my tongue is all the time. Oh. Wow. Shall we talk about some board games? Yeah. We've got an interesting running order coming up. We have got Keyforge, Call of the Archons. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Gen 7, Nyctophobia. We have Critical Mass, the Estates, and Railroad Inc., which is Spoiler, really good. Yeah, we've
1: got a few really good games on this one. Um, so last episode was the live Gen Con podcast, but this episode, this is the real deal. It's all the games we played at Gen Con, Genghis Khan the Lake Geneva Convention. It goes by many names. I just like to call it the biggest board game convention in America. It's too big. At this point, it's too big. It is literally too big. So that is something that it's got going for it we did yeah keep meeting people at Gen Con who said oh it's my first board game convention and we were
0: like mm. okay
1: mm, they're not all like this they're not all weird sort of uh, like <laughs>
0: huge trade shows where a lot of stuff gets s- sold yeah it's
1: like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon but instead of sort of flowers it's just board games and you can't really interact with any of them they're all just there for like display an ornamentary
0: purposes? You can buy them and leave, or you can wait in <laughs> very long lines to have them demoed to you uh, for like 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, it's which not is ideal. Hard. But. Hey, we skip the cues. We don't play by the rules. We're celebrities, which means we could play all kinds of stuff. And let's start with the game that everybody's just—they talk- can't stop talking about it.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, it's KeyForge Call of the Archons. I played this. I was bad at it. I played it and was better. But Matt, who is not on this podcast because uh, he's. He's just not. Was really, really good at it. So Yeah, we and should
0: really enjoyed it, I think. Yeah, we should yeah.
1: preface all of our key forging with uh,
0: the fact that Matt is not here and he loves it. Uh, well, I don't know. he doesn't love it, but he... But he had a very good feeling about it. Also, he beat me and then... Uh, FFG demoer I think yep. so. and then he beat me and then he built he beat wow. the manager of PAX
1: which, <laughs> um, so Keyforge is a card game uh, from Fantasy Flight who make all kinds of good card games such as Netrunner the Lord of the Rings card game the Arkham Horror card game uh, they've got Star Wars Destiny which is mm-hmm. their new sort of card dice hybrid game that's also collectible but Keyforge uses uh, and I love that I get to say these words revolutionary printing technology to come about uh, with an all new idea for a card
0: game this is so this is not each deck is individual right they're individually printed each deck is unique it won't be like a deck anybody else has is that right that's correct They each deck uh,
1: when you buy your 36 or so card deck it will have its own unique card back that's kind mm-hmm. of made from a series of possible symbols and then it has a name that's also stamped on the back of your card so you might buy a deck open it up and it's the princess's uh Holiday in Hell Which is only Marginally (laughs) more ridiculous than what the decks Are actually called So you've got a Princess's Holiday in Hell And then what the cards your deck contains Are not It's not true to say that it's random Because A, that it's always made up of three Of the game's six factions Yes um, randomly determined, but then also it's going to have some sort of soldiers that you play onto the battlefield. And we should stress, this is a game that we're going to be using some shorthand to describe because it's quite similar to Magic the Gathering. Yes. Or Hearthstone. Um, players take turns to play creatures onto the sort of uh, table and then they're going to use those creatures to, in, in this game, attack or harvest crystals, which actually win you the game. Um, so yeah, your princess's Holiday in Hell might then include like some creatures but also some uh, spells uh, to augment those creatures or some sort of wipes that are going to destroy all of your opponent's creatures if they get too many. Um, and yeah, it's kind of designed with, I, I'm not sure, some kind of mysterious algorithm designed uh, by Richard Garfield, who yeah. was the inventor of Magic the Gathering and also lead designer, I believe, on Keyforge, um, so that your deck will kind of work.
0: In theory, yes. So based on conversations I had with a couple of folks who were demoing it, a few of the people from Asmodee and FFG, there was this sort of... I don't know if it's a tacit admission, but people just said some decks might be better than others or they might be more effective. Right. And the idea is there is that challenge of you're going to buy a deck. How, how much is it going to suit you? How much is the style going to be compatible with you? Because once you've bought that deck, that's it. You don't rebuild it. You don't get to customise it. No. You don't get to do anything with it. No. That deck is all that it is and the idea is you might buy I don't know a bunch of them and then have a favourite yeah and actually one of the things
1: they've had to think about with this is immediately uh, they're thinking about cheating at tournaments Mm -hmm. they're thinking about how if all of these decks are different what stops someone from figuring out what a randomised card back would look like and then printing off their own deck which and just
0: claiming they bought it
1: yeah and going I found this well Paul they can't do that because each deck has a QR code and so I believe when you take it to a tournament the tournament organiser will scan and the QR codes, and then they'll check it with a database, and the database will go, this deck was never printed.
0: (laughs) What I find interesting is they're thinking about tournaments already, and they're thinking about cheating. And they're thinking, it's almost as if they're like two steps ahead of us, because I'm still wondering, is it going to take off? Are people going to be excited about the idea of a game where you don't build a deck, you get what you're given, and against a certain other person's deck or in a certain context, it might not work very well. Yeah, and
1: uh, well, Matt's not here, so uh, sorry Matt, but Paul and I are just going to have to state our thoughts on (laughs) KeyForge. Having played uh, a couple of games of it, it's not something that I would want to collect, Really? Yes. Um, but then it's not really for me. Like, I lost, you know, years of my life to the collectible card game Netrunner, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy the Arkham Horror card game, but those are what Shut Up and Sit Down considers, you know, the top-tier kind of experiences. I love Netrunner for the bluffing and for the stories it told. I love the Arkham card game because it's so funny and surprising. Um, whereas KeyForge is very much more going, I believe, for that kind of Magic the Gathering uh, vibe. It's simpler, than something I would usually play, I think. Um, It feels a little more sort of wild. And, you know, while Matt sort of grokked the systems and was very much able to play more efficiently, it felt like him and I were putting in
0: work to try and discover something truly kind of exciting about the game. I think that's a really good point. And I think that might have been one of my... I mean, I I was bad at it, and I'm not always strong at Netrunner, at Magic, at a lot of card games like this, but also I just wanted more to do. I had a lot of cards that I felt had very fundamental functions of you attack somebody else's card or you steal some of the resources that both players are trying to gain to win the game. You you don't attack the other player directly, you just try and accumulate resources, and you can steal these or get more of them, and... That was sort of it. I didn't feel very much card synergy, I didn't feel the, the clever thing that when I've played Netrunner that I find in the decks that people have built that accelerate the game or manipulate certain elements of the game, it felt very standard. Yes. And that was fine, but I feel like I've played some version of that game like ten times now in my life.
1: Yeah, I think that's maybe the way to put it, because if you want a game with that mass market appeal like Hearthstone, like yeah. Magic the Gathering, it does have to be a little bit straightforward. Um and that I feel like is very much what Keyforge is aiming for. And yeah. it is not the kind of thing that Shut Up and Sit Down usually recommends. I'll tell you what, I would play Star Wars Destiny before I would collect Keyforge, because mm-hmm. I do think Star Wars Destiny, the card dice hybrid collectible thing that was more immediately fun and interesting to me i immediately felt far more curious about it whereas i mean i'll say it sort of keyforge's system of just randomly printing a deck uh that that is unique to me felt i almost immediately for me personally the luster wore off and it felt like i'm, gonna, I'm gonna use the g word it felt like a
0: gimmick i'm sorry it's okay maybe mm. yeah i i I, there is, having played like the the There's a Munchkin Now deck building game. Yeah. Which card, you said was quite good. Yeah, like not fantastic, but it did something a little bit different. And again, KeyForge does something a little bit different, but it's not different enough. And I don't feel like this surging juice of energy pulsing around inside me for it. I just feel like it's, it's a cool idea to make unique decks and people will buy them and go, <laughs> this is interesting. And yeah. will that take off hugely? I don't know. It did...
1: Uh, hmm. the straw on the camel's back for me that sort of really pushed this game very much into my I'm not interested in this pile um, Mm -hmm. is the setting. So uh, Keyforge's world, should we say, involves these six factions which are kind of I really liked what the artists did with the art on the card. I quite like the names but it's very all over the place. You've got a kind of goblin orky faction you've got a A sort of of science-y faction well that's it one of the actions is just mars like (laughs) as in the planet mars it's like 1950s pulp or 1920s even Mm. uh, pulp martians kind of like mars attack style Mm -hmm. you know big glass helmets and ray guns and then you've got that then the orc faction and then a faction that's kind of like horrible nightmare creatures and i tell you what it reminded me the most of it reminded me of league of legends (laughs) otherwise known as the most popular video game in the world which is just this kind of hodgepodge of
0: imagery. Yeah. And League does really well as a game, but nobody, the story and the world and. It like I, I, if you know any, actually no don't get in touch well, you know about but similarly like story. I don't think people necessarily play Hearthstone for the world building well no they don't and they don't play League for the plot and which a lot of people don't know who these characters are or what their relationship to each other is which is fine you don't yes, need that
1: but it does raise an interesting question for me whereby okay so you're making Keyforge this mm-hmm. game that's supposed to have mass appeal so then you look at the settings of like Magic the Gathering of League of Legends of Hearthstone and you look at them and go well oh, these are all kind of messy so I guess messiness is the is a good thing in a in a sort of popular game because it doesn't put anybody off I guess Mm. um but for me that feels like you've taken the worst thing from these popular games
0: that's I mean that's just my opinion no that's I think that's valid i I feel bad now because we've talked about this for about 10 minutes and there's nothing that we're taking away that we feel excited about. Well, hey, next time Matt's on the podcast, we'll go, Matt, why should people be excited about
1: KeyForge? But yeah, I mean, there I think go. when a game presents us with a, a, an idea that no one has ever done before, it's kind of on the onus of the game to be like, here's why we're doing this. Here's why this isn't a terrible idea. Because <laughs> otherwise it's just a marketing strapline, right? So yeah. I do think in the case of a game like KeyForge, which has this utterly... Uh, well, crazy idea it is kind of guilty until proven innocent right? So I think yeah let's get out the official shut up and sit down pin and pop people's
0: excitement for this and just say
1: you know maybe it'll be good but just don't put too many hopes on it.
0: So fine alright tell me about Gen 7 what is Gen 7? I will after just helping people do a cheeky google if they want to find out more about that last game that was Keyforge oh, yes. Call of the Archons that's gonna be all over Reddit. It's gonna be all over the ind- people are gonna talk about it, even if they're not playing it. I think a keyforge, yeah. Yes, I
1: think so. So let's talk about something that took the top of my head off that I played with wow. Matt, and we had such a good time with. Wow, let's get people hype for. Gen 7. So Gen 7, not to be confused with Number 9, the absolutely awesome Z-Man number stacking game. Yes. Gen 7 is actually the kind of spiritual sequel to Dead of Winter. Now, we reviewed this one many moons ago. Yes, it is. Uh, So Dead of Winter is a kind of game where everyone runs a sort of survivalist colony in a zombie apocalypse and yeah. some of you might not have the colony's best interests at heart. there a- might be a traitor. Every- everyone has their own secret objective anyway, don't yeah. they? So you yes. might be the guy who wants to stockpile weapons. Um, but ages back this uh, this game, Dead of Winter was pitched as the first Crossroads game and cross- yeah. Crossroads games would be morally grey and feature ethical dilemmas just in the middle of when you're playing and back like, what, five, six years ago when Dead of Winter came out, that was awesome now, storytelling in board games has sort of advanced to the point where that's no longer, you know, the idea of having kind of little story cards that come up and go, what are you going to do in this uh, moral dilemma, that's not even that exciting, but Gen 7 is pitched as the second Crossroads game and it has that same Crossroads mechanic where you're going to be facing dilemmas but I'll tell you what it's Mm -hmm. great wow so what you've got here and the parallels with Dead of Winter are this is another game where you're all working together but you all kind of have your own interests at heart you're on a generation ship so we're leaving all the zombies behind it's a completely different setting we are now travelling into the future Um, on a generation ship Um, you play as players the 7th generation born on this ship so a generation ship if people aren't aware is the sci-fi concept of a ship that has to travel really 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 far So much so that the humans on board will not survive to see the end of
0: the journey. literally there are new generations, people live and die on the ship, and they sort of carry that legacy with the idea that at some point you end up somewhere and the kids of your kids are the people who settle there or do whatever their objective is.
1: Yeah, so Generation 7, which is what the game is short for, Ah. you play the seventh generation on the ship, and I'm getting chills just thinking about it, you are the only generation who will never see Earth and... Will never see the planet you're heading towards. So, you're the generation in the middle that gets the rawest deal, right? Um, So, but you are sort of woken up out of like deep space. Everyone takes turns like going in and out of cryostasis to elongate your life as long as possible. Um, And You're woken up by the previous generation. They say, okay, you're the officers now. Just make sure this ship doesn't collapse and society doesn't fall apart until you die. Um, And the game is a campaign. This isn't like a legacy game where there's boxes and ripping open sort of um, uh, pouches of secrets. Mm -hmm. Rather, it's a lot more like stuffed fables, if people remember us talking about that on a previous podcast, where the game comes with a book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, a book will have quite a lot of rules and words on it, but depending on choices you make in the story, you will turn to different pages in the book. So I think you play Gen 7 about five, six times, and then your story is finished. So, But in each of those games, you'll turn to new pages in the book a bunch.
0: So it's like a mini campaign.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. mini campaign, uh, which you could play through a couple of times because there's all kinds of forks in the story, but the book and the storytelling is sort of in addition to the actual game you're playing. And the game you're playing is what I'll describe now because we played a good couple of hours of it. Yeah. Um, And first things first, we had a great time. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have not felt such a confluence of good ideas since I first played Dead of Winter. Uh, It's truly, truly lovely. So the way it works is, Paul, you and me, and a couple of other people are on a generation ship. You are in charge of engineering. Our friend over there is in charge of science. I'm in charge of uh, xenobiology and growing the plants that we need to eat. And then our fourth friend, who is optional in the game, because you can play it with three, might be in charge of robotics. And mm-hmm. robots are, uh, well, I'll tell you. They're very important. They are. And they're 12-sided dice. So each of us have um, a number of dice in our in our sort of uh, resource pool. People. Mm-hmm. And each dice is a person who works for us. So in your uh, engineering department, you might have three D6s, representing your three members of staff. You have a D8, which is you. And maybe the robotics guy might give you a robot, which is a D12, so that they can roll even higher numbers. You then roll your dice, and you dispatch them around the ship. Um, So, for example, if you roll a 6 on one of your D6s, oh, great, that guy's feeling super peppy. You might send him to do an important job. Mm -hmm. The guy who rolled a 1, I guess, is just sad that round and (laughs) isn't really feeling his job. But players take it in turns in a worker placement style, to pick up one of these dice and assign it to a task. And immediately
0: you're playing cooperatively, so in theory you have the ship's interests at heart.
1: You do! Uh, Well, so Mm. let me talk about the (laughs) central mechanic in it, which is that, um, are you aware, Paul, as a learned guy, Mm. lots of general knowledge, how when NASA sent astronauts into space, they gave them a lot of busy work to do to make sure they didn't go mad?
0: No, but that makes sense. Okay,
1: so like for example, on um, the first uh, space shuttle, um, lots of this. Oh, what was the first rocket that went into orbit?
0: I was going to say on the Mercury things. Oh right, on the Mercury things, they gave uh, some of the pilots joysticks so they could move stuff around because it was they were fired like a bullet and they had their trajectory worked out and they had like all these elite navy pilots who then basically their job was to sit there and do nothing. So they tried to give them. Yeah, so I guess, no, I, I know a degree of that.
1: Yeah, so that's some of the psychology of it, is that if someone is trapped in a space and can't do much, then the mission is designed such that there's lots of buttons and small jobs you have to do because it keeps you busy, which means yeah. your mental health stay strong. Huh. So in Gen 7 you have this ship's AI that assigns you all tasks. For example, you're in engineering, you might have to study, you know, the hull of the ship. You don't really have to, but the ship says it's very important you do this. So <laughs> there's a mix of stuff that goes wrong in the ship that you genuinely do need to fix or yeah. bits of the ship start falling apart. And then everyone has these little cards which are kind of like your busy work that you should really get on with. And I tell you what, Paul, if you find the time to assign your dice to just nonsense busy work, if, like, say, you got those chemicals that... Maybe the ship really needs chemicals, but i tell you what, Paul, you also need chemicals for, like, your experiments that you're doing. Yeah, I do. Well, do you, Paul, because the ship is falling apart? It's very important. Okay, well, if you choose to be selfish and perform your own tasks, I'll tell you what the the AI gives you. Ah. It gives you merits, (laughs) okay? Now, as you uh, are a successful sort of uh, member of the crew, and you get these merits, you unlock sort of buffs, which are great because maybe, you know, your section of the ship gets better, your crew works well. That's that's good for the whole generation ship, is what you'll tell your friends. And you'll become more powerful, mm-hmm. um, which will help the ship face disasters. However, as you get merits and rank up, you also get more votes on the story. So, for example, in our... The only ethical choice we faced in our tiny demo was... Um, and I should stress, by the way, the writing in this game is really strong. And just so people don't get the idea that Shut Up and Sit Down is really negative, because if you listen to the last podcast, we made fun of detectives writing a lot. Yes, the, the writing in Gen Seven is just top tier. Just atmospheric. Just it's atmospheric. It does a lot of world building with mm-hmm. very few sentences. It's very feminine. There's a lot of talk about like a sort of uh, being a parent and pregnant women, and like it just it's not written from that male perspective, which can make uh, some stories seem really myopic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we had a, a dilemma that mentioned that one crew member had found an illegal piece of art, like an unsanctioned, like, which immediately, that sentence alone tells us, okay, so because we have limited resources on the ship, if someone can't just make art because what's the art made of? Like, those are-
0: That's interesting. Like, every
1: single resource on the ship is lot. That's is interesting. So anyway, we found an illegal piece of art. And then the question was, do we want to um, sort of investigate, uh, like, who made this art? Yeah. Or do we want to not because actually the art's quite nice and someone might continue to make art and that'd be good Uh, so all the players can then vote on this but if you have been selfish you will have more votes than everyone else which means that theoretically over the course of a campaign you could end up with a player that's just a tyrant and they're a tyrant with all the power over the ship because they have neglected to help everybody else to keep the ship online
0: that's so strange that's so interesting that Dice placement or A lot of this I am immediately really interested in.
1: Yeah, I was uh, not disinterested in a single aspect of this, which is a really awkward sentence. Other stuff I really liked is that the the sort of uh, complications that happen with the ship, for example, oh, the electronics in this part of the ship really need some work, Mm -hmm. um, are all colour-coded. So they all affect a different player around the table. So, for example, it won't just be the ship's electronics, it will be, like, the science department's electronics. So... If you fail to do that, it's not just the generic ship that breaks because every single component in the game is under somebody's jurisdiction, which means if you fail to maintain the science electronics, it's the scientist player whose area then starts to fall apart. And you know what keeping your area pristine gives you? Merits. (laughs) Merits, <laughs> Which means that suddenly, like, players are also just slightly more interested in helping certain parts of the ship yeah. to make sure their part of
0: the ship well, is the, pristine. I mean, that opens up the room for sort of endless negotiation and, um, like, bitterness and rivalries. And yes. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, or... Yeah. this is fascinating.
1: I I think it's fascinating, but you know what? Over the last few years, lots of board games have been just fascinating. Like First Martians, which I gave a negative review to recently, or I don't know, Seafall. Lots of big ambitious games that we go, oh, this looks so interesting. But then as soon as you play it, you realise something's wrong. I am stating on our podcast now, we played Gen 7 for like 90 minutes and I loved every minute of it. Wow. So yeah, this is not... I'm so reluctant for games that are ambitious and that we just hype them up. But this is one I have actually played and you know I can actually say I had actual fun with.
0: Who is the publisher? The publisher is plaid hat. Ah. So which is good because So it is continuing the crossroads within the plaid hat within the plaid sphere. hat. Sphere. And
1: there are actual crossroads cards that, you know, will give individual players little dilemmas on their yeah. turn. Yeah. Um and how they work is a bit tweaks, but I've, I've talked plenty about Gen 7, but yeah, I will absolutely be uh, giving this the Shut Up and Sit Down treat-
0: review treatment. That sounds terrific. That sounds... that uh, That is the board game that I'm probably the most excited about then right now. Ooh-hoo-hoo. So I'll pull us into now this discussion on another game we played, which was Nyctophobia, which has a lot of talk around it, right? Because this is... All right, well, hold on, I will explain, because at the moment all our dear listeners can hear is your noises of pain. <laughs> um, Nictophobia is a game of touch where everybody puts on glasses so that they cannot see and then feels a board in front of them except for one person who acts as a combination sort of games master slash murderer <laughs> because you're all in a forest, it's dark, you can't see, you're trying to feel your way out. You've got one player who can see the board, can see where everyone is, and says cool things to you, like, I'm nearest to you right now, Quins. Mm-hmm. I'm moving now. <laughs> I I'd, I'd hit you. I've Because the idea is you're all, what is it, teens lost in a forest, you're trying to find your car yeah. so you can get out or at least phone the police. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you have no idea of what the map looks like in front of you because it's been assembled, pre-assembled and you simply feel it with your hands trying to guide your piece couple of spaces, feel for where there are trees which you can't cross, accidentally walk yourself into a dead end, and I guess listen to other players panicking around you as somebody says, I think I'm near you, uh, I'm in a dead end, I'm going to go back south because I don't think the murderer's that way. <laughs> which immediately sounds like a good concept, right? I was pretty
1: excited to play this, and we should explain that the thing that makes it work and means that players don't just grope the table in front of them and then feel the map of the whole board. On your turn, when you move, that's the only time you're allowed to touch the board. And you can only feel a very small area around your piece.
0: Yes, the murderer GM person guides your hand and lets you feel the immediate area around you, which is holes and trees, usually.
1: Yes, and that's it. I was the murderer, and while I would have liked to have sort of role-played this spooky figure and gone, I'm closest to you, and all this stuff, <laughs> mostly what I did is say, <laughs> like, act like some kind of crap policeman of going, no, no, don't touch there, that's illegal. <laughs> You've reached too far. Um, and it was stressful for... All of us. I don't know if any of us wasn't stressed by this game.
0: It, so yeah, there there is the factor that somebody taking your hand and guiding it is. It takes a little while to get used to that, mm. and I did find that a little strange. <laughs> uh, it's a little strange. Um, I think the concept is a really cool concept, and because it's a combination of hidden movement and um, having very imperfect information around you and then obviously losing a key sense but still being able to talk to the other players and you know openly discuss in front of the other player who is trying to kill you all or even just one of you but also immediately it felt I, I don't know if this is a bias because I'm a person with perfectly functional sight and I'm used to that but feeling the board immediately felt a little strange to me and the components didn't feel like they felt clear enough to me uh, and the board because the board is full of so many holes that you put components or pegs in i didn 't find that actually very orienting or very helpful for trying to move around and i I discovered the car in our game i don 't really know how I did that I, that <laughs> didn 't feel like I did anything intelligent or I played the game like particularly thoughtfully
1: no um I felt like it was a game that we all kind of wanted to like and then it it simply didn't hang together. And like the high concepts, which is why nyctophobia is, which is the game's name, has been talked about so much, is so interesting that players are playing this board game by touch. Mm -hmm. And every time they move their space, they have to kind of keep a mental map of the maze and then maybe discuss with other people of going, Oh no, it's left and right, you know, but that kind of wasn't,
0: what actually we, d- I, we didn't do that very much because i felt we were too far from each other that we had a loose idea of where we were but we ended up not really having to share much we just explored our own areas of the forest no i don't know that's a feeling i get
1: yes um i think the kind of the thing i enjoyed the most because i should also stress again there's all the one thing of where four players are blind or you know a group of players are blinded mm-hmm. and one player isn't Again, once I actually got into reading the rules of Nyctophobia and we got into the nitty-gritty of playing this game rather than just hearing about it in Hushed Whispers, turns out the murderer doesn't really play. It's a role a lot closer to being the moderator in Werewolf because every turn you draw a card to see what you have to do as the murderer player who can see. And often it's, you know, move one or two spaces towards the nearest hunter Mm -hmm. and tell a lie or tell the truth, which is, it almost worked. But it very much felt like a prototype to me rather than, you know, um,
0: something that we could in any way recommend. This this is it. I feel like as a concept, it is great. And I wonder if maybe a second edition could execute it a little better because as soon as people were talking about it and pitching it to me, you know, I had to run over to the Pandasaurus booth and get a review copy. Mm. And I fortunately got the last review copy I was very happy about. You know, a few publishers at Gen Con, when they gave me a review copy, told me it was the last copy. Oh, yeah. I mm. think that is
1: definitely nonsense. All right. No, I think I they, might, <laughs> they might do that so that we don't tell other, like, reviewers, like, oh, yeah, oh. they've got review copies. That's my guess. Oh,
0: that's oh. We're on to you, publishers. But that, mm.
1: I I have a lot of patience for that because Gen Con is swamped with people trying to get free review
0: copies for their blogs. That's so true. Whatever you've got to do, publishers. Whatever you got I to do. I feel deflated by that. Anyway, um, yeah, I I don't know. I like the idea. I think the designer came up with a really cool concept, and I think I think people will have fun playing it. But I don't personally feel I can recommend it enough and I wish there's a few things like I wish the build quality of the components was a bit more distinctive
1: yeah at the end once everyone had taken their glasses off we were all looking at the components and going well no wonder I had trouble feeling my way around because the ridges of the trees was incredibly similar to the ridges of my player piece which was similar to the holes in the board which is where you plug in the trees you know it very much felt like a sort of well, this is the first print run, and with a company like Fantasy Flight or someone with greater quality control, they would have looked at that and gone, well, we can't publish this. Let's do a second print run yeah, where the components are more tactile.
0: A bit of that and maybe a bit more to do in the game, a bit more than just moving around and being confused. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, terrific concept, and just I feel it needs a bit more execution. And if a second edition appears at some point,
1: I would, I would look it. at it again. Yeah, I would yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, we should also. I'll say one nice thing about Nyctophobia. I, I had a really good time when, because I was guiding everyone's hand mm-hmm. and we were playing with an all male group. So there was an amount of like, oh, this is extra weird because <laughs> men don't like touching each other. Turns out the patriarchy is filled us mm-hmm. all with terrible ideas about our bodies. But um, yeah, every time I touch someone's hand, at some point after I was doing this and trying to make it a bit atmospheric, guiding players' fingers, um, someone went, "Quinn why is your hand really cold and really clammy? I wonder
0: if that was me. And
1: I think I, mm. it might have been, but no, I think it might have been Ryan, but the seal was broken at that point, And literally every future turn from that, when I was moving players' hands, it was like, <laughs> Everyone was just talking about my cold, wet hands, like I was a zombie or something. And for the record, I've got really dry, warm hands. I don't know. I feel like the pressure of having to touch people yeah. without their
0: consent. No, I think that might have been what it was being, that, that that tension of doing that new thing.
1: Yeah, and then I just started getting really sweaty palms, which made the experience horrible for everybody. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, that was that was my favourite bit of nixophobia was everyone making fun of my hands and me being sort of like feeling... Qu- that was quite unjust, because I've got nice hands, everybody.
0: Well, but there we go. It's now officially on the podcast. It is true, and it is a fact, and it will be in your Wikipedia article. <laughs> Quentin Smith has nice hands. Can we... All right, hopefully we'll perk things up with Critical Mass, which you tried. Ooh. Yeah? I'm excited yeah. to talk about this. Who? What is this?
1: Who's it by? Critical Mass is by uh, Arcane Wonders. Um, oh, yeah? Who...
0: Maybe most famous for doing
1: a Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes. and. Mage Wars.
0: Yes. So, have you played Mage Wars? It's A long time ago, and I wasn't very good at it, and I kind of prefer Summoner Wars,
1: sorry. Oh, sure. But Summoner Wars is the uh, sort of light and breezy uh, game of wizard combat that we've always recommended. Mage Wars is a lot weirder. It's like a simulation. Yeah, the manual is longer. There are hundreds and hundreds of spells. Um, It's got all kinds of crazy stuff. Maybe I make a wall of thorns, and then you set it on fire, then I use water on your... Mage Wars is the is a game that enables wizard combat like in movies. Yeah. That is, I think, the thing it's got going for. And the reason, hey, right behind you, Paul, I can see my copy of Mage Wars. I've not given it away because I kept it around even though it's so big and not the prettiest game in the world because what it does, which is Gandalf on Gandalf combat, it does better than (laughs) any game I have ever played. So Critical Mass um, was a really pleasant surprise for me because it's a new Arcane Wonders card game about robots, like big mech robots fighting robots. And you know what? I think they might have done it again. I think this is the
0: most thematic board game of robot
1: on robot combat I've ever played
0: so are we talking a similar thing to Mage Wars in terms of the intricacy of how you simulate your robots
1: no it's actually a very simple card game Uh, I could teach it in like uh, just a few minutes and I won't be going on about it for too long because I want to play it some more and maybe even give it a shut up and sit down review because and I need to preface all of this by saying I am a big fan of like anime robot combat I like robots slapping the hell out of each other have ever since uh, I watched Power Rangers as a kid Um, But what this game nails about robot combat is, essentially, it's rock, paper, scissors, okay? You pick your robot, and then you've got um, sort of seven cards, which or maybe even less, which are like an array of guns, and then like a card that says, DODGE! And then a card which sort of powers you up. Um, So if you play an attack, and I play an attack, then the attack with the highest speed goes through and knocks the other robot off its game, and the other robot takes damage. Mm -hmm. And you start chipping away at cubes that are like... Uh, each robot has a kind of player board with all these little metal cubes or sort of grey plastic cubes not metal Um, and then every time you hit a robot you can knock one of these cubes away and you kind of can drill down through specific systems so maybe if you drill all the way through its gun arm then that robot loses that gun Mm -hmm. Um, alternatively you could start hammering its central core which is heavily armoured and then if you knock that off then the robot shuts down for a turn and you can unleash your super attack whatever Basically, so yeah, the simple thing is, if we both play weapon cards, the faster weapon works. But obviously, the slower weapons do more damage. If I play a weapon card and you play a dodge, then uh, the weapon is completely ineffectual and the dodge goes back to your hand. Because here's the other thing. Oh, yes. Whenever you play a card in critical mass, it is spent and goes into the discard pile. Unless, you know, there are special rules. So it's kind of, if you think your opponent's going to attack, you definitely play the dodge. Um, if you think your opponent's going to dodge, you definitely play either the the recharge card that lets you pick up your whole hand, or, and then this is where the game gets super anime, and I start getting really excited, you can play a card <laughs> that's essentially power-up. Yeah. So if you play the power-up card and you you get hit by a weapon, you still get to power-up, but you get to reach into your shop, which is a separate deck you've built, and pick one of your robot subsystems, one of the weaker ones, that then comes online. If you timed it so that the other opponent didn't reveal an attack card, so for example, they dodged or they recharged and you power up, then you get to bring one of your new sort of super cards online. Now, all of this is done face down. So if I, you know, power up and unlock a system, you don't know what I've got. You just know I now have a new card in my hand. Yeah. Maybe you then try and attack me and I reveal a super dodge and you didn't know I had it. Um, or I reveal just some ridiculous cluster missile thing that does enough so much damage that you have to pick up the card and read it to make sure I'm not you cheating. You
0: see, this is immediately a more interesting card game to me than Keyforge. Right, you
1: know, man, Matt and I actually just coincidentally played Keyforge and Critical Mass back-to-back, and Critical Mass activated the part of my brain that just got so tickled by Netrunner where I was like, Yeah, oh my god, the core of this feels so good in a way that Keyforge never felt yeah. good like stealing an agenda in Netrunner for people who are familiar with Netrunner is a feeling that never goes away and similarly in Critical Mass dodging
0: someone's weapon
1: felt electric every single it's time it's
0: intelligent to me. timing it's using the information that you've got in front of it's you also, it's trying to be coy yeah it's also just partially random
1: you know and as someone who plays Street Fighter and you know Street Fighter at a high level is an incredibly intelligent game yeah but it's still partially random and there's not anything wrong with that you know um, anyway uh, to get back to the, the thematic thing that I love about Critical Mass, if you watch like animated series of big robots fighting each other, what they always do, the trope is, you know, they'll use their basic weapons, they'll sort of brawl for a bit, and then one of the pilots will go, well, okay, try this, and then bring online, like, a bigger weapon. Mm-hmm. The other robot will then go, huh, and then do some, like, super jump that means they avoid it, and you're like, <laughs> "Why?" And then eventually someone gets out the massive sword and cuts the other robot in half. And obviously, watching Power Rangers or Voltron as a kid, you're like, why didn't they just pull out the sword to begin with and just end the fight. I'll tell you why, Paul, because it's not awesome. Uh, You know, it's just storytelling, right? You instead just build up until someone does their powerful move. Yeah. It is so cool to play a robot game that models that mechanically, whereby you start off with the same hand of, like, seven cards you will use throughout the fight. You'll always use your little chain gun and your little dodge. (laughs) But, like, slowly but surely, (laughs) you will bring more and more of your systems online, a lot of which combo, you know, and then, yeah, and... Also, it's just got a lovely um, thing whereby, initially, if we're playing rock, paper, scissors, and we each have seven cards, you can keep that in your head. But the game just has a nice thing where whenever your opponent brings something in line, it's like it becomes like rock, paper, scissors, super laser. Yeah. And then you didn't know that your opponent has super laser, so maybe they surprise you with it once. And getting to surprise your opponent is quite fun. But then once they've played it once, you then just understand that the possibility space has grown. You know that you're playing Rock, yeah. paper, Scissors, Super Laser,
0: Missile, Super Dodge. This, this, I mean, this sounds both really good and really clever, but also appropriately thematic. It does feel like, and particularly uh, talking about Major Worlds just now, it's also leaner, so much leaner as well. Yes. It does feel like they might be onto a hit here.
1: I don't know, man. I think... No? Well, Matt liked it but didn't love it. I think I, I really, really do like it. Yeah. Um, I need to play it some more. Um, I feel like it's my love of the robot genre that makes me love it so much. That's,
0: um, But, I mean, that's okay. If it is simulating that idea and it's articulating those concepts in the game in a way that excites you, yeah. that's a success.
1: I think so. I think so. So, yeah, I'll definitely play some more critical mass. Um, I'll probably play it with you if you fancy it. Okay. Uh, yeah. you, you want to be a robot with me?
0: I actually do. I think just because I'm neutral about giant robots, I have no strong feelings either way. Yeah. I can as an impartial English person approach this topic and <laughs> just, I don't know, rub my face for a while and play. And probably, I i, I don't know, I'm biased. I think I'm already going to go into it liking it, though. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Lovely, lovely little game. So, yeah, if you want to Google that and take a look at some of the art and concepts yourself, that's critical mass. But, mm. yeah, I don't think it'll be the last time you see
0: it on Shut Up and Sit Down. So then, can we talk about something that I really, really like that might be, I don't know, might be my name, Game of Gen Con? Which is Railroad Inc., which is a roll-and-write game, a drawing game of drawing transport networks with, I guess, one of those erasable pens. Not a Sharpie, because you can't erase Sharpies, can you? One of those erasable pens, drawing roads and railways, and if you like, lava, (laughs) on a little map as efficiently as possible to connect up lots of little things. Doesn't that sound good? It
1: does, and we should stress, if you want to Google this, it's Railroad Inc. spelt... INK.
0: INK. which i believe is a pun on like railroad incorporated sure i don't know yeah anyway yeah no it must be this uh, this is uh, this is by simon and not something i expected simon to do because i associate them with you know these huge elaborate board games with all these miniatures yeah it might now be my favorite simon game <laughs> <laughs> because of that because all you have is a set of dice that you roll everybody you uses the same pool of dice. And those dice will roll you something like a bit of train track or a crossing or a corner or something. You have all these entrances at the side of your map that you start drawing on. And from these dice, you... You know you have to draw these bits of road, but it's up to you where you draw them and how you connect them up with the objective of connecting up as much of your transport network as possible, having as few dead ends as possible, doing that like video game pipe dream thing of trying to build the longest things but also make them connect. Yeah. I really like this. It's so simple and yet... Ah, oh, I just I had such a good time.
1: Yeah, so definitely after bigging up uh the uh Roland Roll and, roll and Right Roland Right. Uh welcome to a yeah. couple of podcasts ago. I think you and I are in agreement that Really now, you, me, and Matt have all separately had discussions about whether Welcome To or Railroad Inc. is the better game. Which, and I don't know what the answer is. I I really, really like them both. I I see no reason why you wouldn't own both. Because they're both quite small. They're both a little cheap. I mean, neither of them are out yet. (laughs) We're just quite ahead of the curve on this. But I think we're definitely going to be reviewing them both because they are so lovely. What Railroad Inc. has for me is I find it, there are games that are engaging, which, you know, really hold your attention. Railroad Inc. I find hypnotizing. Like, really? Yeah. When, like we were playing it, um, on a pub on Sunday, me, Matt, and like, a few other people. And the, the, the pub, like for, is one of those like, uh, magical sort of moments of music filling the thing. They changed from playing, um, rock music to just this really nice ambient house. Mm-hmm. And we were rolling the dice and I was staring down at my railroad thing. And I realized that for like, I don't know, it's not like 16 or 17 minutes. I hadn't had a thought that wasn't to do with trains. Like wow. You know, I was just absolutely
0: lost in this little world of Incan
1: railways. Railways.
0: It's a it's a fantastic puzzle, isn't it? I love the fact that because everybody has the same dice, you choose from the same pool. Everybody has the same options, but you use them so differently. And there are folks who just try and extend a single road. There are people like me who are probably too clueless and ambitious, where I try and connect everything to everything too soon. Yeah. There's It's such an easy idea. Just draw this line from here to here. That's it. Where are you going to draw the next one?
1: I mean, I think the reason it works so well is that, you know, in Pipe Mania and uh, lots of games where you sort of draw lines, um, you have kind of one pipe or one kind of pipe. Mm -hmm. Railroad Inc. is actually kind of a misleading title because, as you say, you have railroads. Railroads and roads. Yes. And then you also have dice results that show junctions that turn railways into roads. But then also, even... uh, Like, I played um, Kadama or Avenue, or or I forget the name, but it was um, a sort of Pipe Mania-style roll-and-write game. Mm. Um, And it didn't really work for me. But uh, this... Railroading gives you so much to think about because, yes, you're connecting everything and getting points for that. Ideally, you're connecting everything in one big network, but if you start two or three or four networks, that can get you points too. You get points for filling in the middle of your sort of map, which is theoretically where you would never need to go, but now you do. You get points for the longest road, and you get points for the longest railway. There is so much to think about, and yet if you want to think about nothing and just kind of draw and doodle,
0: because that's an intrinsically pleasing act... You can do that too. And then there's just lava and water (laughs) if you want to play a harder version of the game where you have to also draw on lakes and try and, what is it, contain the lakes? Like, seal those lakes. And you also have a volcano which is spewing lava that you have to... Uh, oh, just like sort of direct around the map and obviously you don't want to accidentally lava things that you've already built <laughs> which is, you know, of course that's going to happen and it's a weird challenge and thematically I don't know if that makes very much sense but I don't care, it's a really good puzzle. Well, what uh, they've
1: done we should, uh, we should say because this is so much fun, you can buy Railroad Inc in the style of Pokemon Red and Blue you can buy either the Red or Blue edition of Railroad Inc. The Blue edition comes with um, a couple of expansions and some blue dice, it yes. comes with um, blue river dice so everything we should say in the railroading blue edition is blue like the sheets are blue there's some I think I don't know some a bit of red sort of highlighting Mm -hmm. but by and large it's a blue game and optionally you can play with either lakes or rivers Um, or you can buy the red version where everything's red with a touch of green highlighting and then the expansion dice you get is you can optionally play with volcanoes or Meteors. And all of these expansion work in different ways. Also, if you own both editions, then you can play Railroad Inc. with up to 12 players. Oh. If you, I mean,
0: <laughs> I wouldn't, probably. but uh, Well, that's the thing, I guess. There's no player limit. You could play this solo, or you just need as many boards as you have players, because everybody uses the same dice. Yep. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking about when, what? when we compare Welcome to and Railroad Inc.? What? This is weird,
1: but... When we were playing Welcome 2, I began thinking about how one of the pleasures of it is you're drawing on it with like either a pencil or a pen. Yeah. And how that feels and why it's satisfying and why shading stuff in is nice. And Railroad Ink uses these dry rays sort of markers, yes. kind of like felt, felt tip pens, I guess. Yeah. And I it's so weird, but part of my internal review process for this is I'm sort of percolating before we start writing the scripts is like, do I prefer writing with a pen?
0: Well, you mentioned this a little (laughs) bit. You said you weren't crazy about dry erase markers. Well, yeah. And the fact that you wipe the board clean and it's never 100% clean afterwards. It's got those little bits of black.
1: It gets increasingly filthy every time you use it. But I've kind of come around because I've realised that drawing, you kind of... I'm not someone with a lot of drawing ability and you can't really draw neatly with a felt-tip pen because, no. you know, you just get this, this sort of like this smear of ink, which means my boards are always going to look ugly, which means I'm kind of freed from the responsibility of making them look nice. So I can kind of put more energy into them. Uh, sure. I should stress, <laughs> I might be I might be mad. But, uh, but yeah, what fun that like part of our job this year is like weighing up the joys of different kinds oh, different of different drawing
0: things it's i quite like that it's been a roll and right year or it's been a roll and right summer
1: yeah it has for us hasn't it even though we've only really come away with two games that we desperately want to review well
0: without giving too much away i guess we might touch on one or two roll and rights in some future podcasts maybe
1: oh yeah i think what what are you talking about thinking
0: about some trains that we had what
1: steamrollers? Shh!
0: Don't I, give it away now. I don't know if we need to talk about steamrollers. I, tr- I, because you draw on that, I was drawing like little cactuses and cowboys, and yeah, that's all right. But and, uh... I mean, I don't know. It's
1: more expensive than like well. So, I don't know, should we just briefly touch on steamrollers? <laughs> okay. I mean, steamrollers, which people were talking about last year, mm. um, was when we first started looking into roll and rights this year. Um, some names kept coming up. People said, "Oh, you got to play steamrollers," and you got to play Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. But I already think those two games have been overshadowed by better releases this
0: I, year the thing is yeah i do agree i enjoyed steamrollers but i it's not a tangent i actually want to take us on right now it's to be also honest.
1: yeah it's not particularly good looking it's a little bit expensive so yeah i think that for us the games we're focusing on Railroad Inc. welcome to maybe other new releases in the future
0: How about we talk about The Estates, then? The last game on our list.
1: What a game!
0: Wow. Wow, you've exploded. I love this game. Why do you love the... No, further back. Quinns, what is The Estates? Okay. Who's it by? The Estates is a
1: new game uh, being published... Oh, sorry. It's an older German game republished by Capstone Games. Now, Capstone Games are a publisher who, I get the impression, put a lot of uh, tender, loving care into their releases... And uh, The Estates is, I think Neuer Heiman is the old German name. Mm-hmm. You can forget all about that because The Estates is the definitive edition. I have never... It might even be the prettiest review copy I took home from Gen Con. Wow. Yeah. Um, you've seen our photo of it, I think, on our Instagram. It's, um, it's a game which also could look super boring. And it makes, an in- makes for an interesting parallel with our review of Container recently. Mm-hmm. Because Container is a game about shipping companies and... You know, we, Matt and I really like it, but we were like, "Ah, oh, but this edition is just really ugly." Absolutely
0: stunning mechanics, very simple, very clever, and yet executed in a way that made it too expensive and look a little bit. Yeah, rubbish. exactly. But then, you know, a, a sensible response to
1: that would be like, you know, but Quinns—it's a game about shipping containers. How pretty could it possibly look? Well, The Estates is a game essentially about an unfinished building site. Mm -hmm. Um, You all play uh, construction companies that are tasked with throwing up some buildings in, like, a sort of derelict part of town. Yeah and you build some buildings and you put them down on the boards and there's money that exchanges hands which should be like the ugliest
0: wrapper for a game ever but not necessarily because you've got these like these cute little building pieces right mm-hmm. and then the map itself looks nice yes and then you cap them with numbers yes
1: so yeah to as you've hinted the estates is beautiful uh, the buildings you're constructing are these gorgeous blocky cubes yeah they have, it
0: looks really nice they have
1: lovely uh, print screen printing on them um, the roofs that you put on each like, vertical office block are nice, the board is gorgeous there's little, even like and I love this, so it's very this is going to be hard for me to describe, (laughs) but the board is rectangular and quite long, right? And what the estates of the game is is, okay, we've got these three streets and you're going to be building on them, and then there's a river, but then there's a park on the other side of the river and the game has mechanics whereby you can uh, sort of elongate these streets artificially Mm -hmm. Um, but but you're not supposed to and that's why on the board it's like a building site followed by a park because you can go and build into the park but it feels wrong and dangerous and bad which is actually what's paralleled in the manual that
0: is what's so cool that is immediately a cool concept but also just I don't know the way it looks like a section of downtown
1: it is is the thing it's stunning yeah it's absolutely beautiful and really blocky and this is lovely because you're building construction companies the money isn't like like any other game it would be like dollars or whatever but in this uh, every piece of money is a card, which is a check uh, for a million dollars. So your construction company's throwing around checks to each other, mm-hmm. and every check has a different name, a lot of which are Kickstarter backers, I think, which okay. is very cute. Yeah, um, But it, that even fits the theme of the game, because there's this impression in the game that you are the shadiest construction companies in the world. So, sorry, I've talked around this game for too much. Let no, me that's exp- great. Let me explain how it works. So basically, um, you have uh, been commissioned by the city to build two streets. Now, there are three streets on the board. So what you've done as a construction company is, is you've gone, oh, well, let's just build three streets and the city hopefully won't notice. Sure. Now, it's, so the rule is that once two of these streets are finished, the game ends, okay? The game also ends if you've completely run out of construction materials and failed to complete two streets. At which point, um, the third street, that unfinished street, or any unfinished streets, if you completely screwed the pooch and didn't build anything, mm-hmm. anything unfinished is negative points. Yeah. Anything finished is positive points. So what you, how you then play is that the estates is an auction game. So for example, let's say it's round one and you auction a red cube, which is a red sort of floor of a building yes if we then go around in an auction I might win the auction and pay 6 million I then get the red cube because it's the first red cube I'm then in control of all red cubes which means any future red cubes anyone can win the auction and put them on the board but ultimately those points will be positive or negative only for me Ah. because only I am in charge of red construction now when you get a cube you can put it down uh, in a street as and like as a sort of stepping stone fashion to try and finish that street Or, let's say then the next auction is a yellow cube, which has a higher number than the red cube I just bought. You could win the auction for that yellow cube, Paul. You're then in charge of all yellow cubes, and you choose to put your yellow cube not um, laterally, continuing the street, but on top of my red cube. Okay? Because you can build vertically, right? Yeah. So what you've done in covering my red cube, you have not helped us finish this street at all. But... When we look at that building, and the yellow cube is on top, what that means is yellow owns the entire building, okay? So if we had a red 3 and you put a yellow 4 on top of it, it's owned by the yellow player, and the value of that building is 3 plus 4, which is 7. Then there are roofs, which if someone then auctions a roof, Paul, you might win that auction, and you place a roof with the number like 3 on it. Mm -hmm. You put the roof on the building, great, you've added three points to that building. More importantly, when a roof's on a building, no one can continue putting blocks on it. Yes. So then that's locked in. However, Paul, while you're doing this, other players, like as, and this is why it's such a nightmarish auction game, as you pour resources into this one building with your cubes and your roof and you're all really happy, you've then locked that building down and said, this building is going to score me points. But then other players will be like, well, obviously, Paul's now invested in that street. We need to make sure that street never gets finished. So other players will then try and build other streets forward or use the hateful building permit. Uh, sort of standees, to elongate your street and go, oh, Paul, that street you've started work on. Actually, yeah, It's a bit longer.
0: It's now, it's longer, so it's going to be even harder to finish. So this immediately sounds like there's room there for some negotiation and backstabbing and oh, that you cannot, you I step mean, on each other's toes all the time. It
1: is. Uh, our f- friend of the show, Ben Kutcher, uh, pitched it to me as, it is the meanest auction game he has ever played, uh, and also his favourite. It is in my opinion the meanest auction game I've ever played and it might be my favorite. Wow. It is unbelievably cruel, but we've said before like feelings tend to get hurt in board <laughs> games when kind of when they go against the spirit of the game. Yes. Like people tend to be annoyed in like uh, let's say they're backstabbed in a risk. It's yeah. because you had an agreement, you had an agreement, you had an agreement and then someone went back on it. Yes. Which means that you're surprised, you're hurt, you feel
0: it didn't have to go that way. And you're going to say for the estates it's entirely thematic for people to build on top (laughs) of you... To sabotage? No, this. uh, I I totally agree with you. To build on top of you, to sabotage you, to stretch out a road a little bit longer, to complicate your life. Yes. When they see that you're doing well, or you're the leader in front.
1: Yeah, and it's not just thematic. It is. um, It's every turn, like every single turn. Big business. Every piece you might auction, whether it's a building permit, a brick, or a roof, or hilariously, you can. This can only be auctioned once. You've. There's a little top hat token that indicates the mayor. And if you win the auction for the mayor... Oh, and I should stress. Mm -hmm. Anytime you win an auction for any of the wooden pieces in in the estates, you don't have to place it. You can just throw it away. (laughs) You can put it in the box or physically throw it across the room. You can do whatever you want. Because let's say, you know, there's a token that I know will ruin my day. I can win the auction and give you all that money and then just physically throw the piece across the room so it doesn't enter the game and destroy my plans. So you might, because on your turn you pick which piece to auction. Yeah. You might pick a piece that you know I need or rather... I need to not be on the board purely so that I'll then bid an outrageous amount just so it does not enter the game. And then I've paid you that money. Wow. Anyway, so the mayor, if you choose to auction the mayor, the person who wins the auction can either send the mayor away forever or put the mayor on a street. And the mayor doubles whatever happens on that street. So if the mayor shows up and the street gets finished, the mayor goes, that's great. Hello. I'll double the value of all these buildings. If that street is not finished, the mayor is obviously... Very unhappy. (laughs) Unhappy that, you know, you built all these skyscrapers that are then going to be bulldozed. And he doubles the negative points. Or she. That mayor could be a woman. Make you think. Uh, But yeah, it's... This sounds... It's it's relentless. It
0: sounds like brutal, constant, brutal, big business. Uh, That thing that you do where... That image I have a big business where, like, if it's legal, you can do it. Yes, it doesn't matter if it's nice or if it's helpful. That thing where you like you hire lawyers to slow down somebody else's legal process. Absolutely, it doesn't matter that you can't win the court case. You just try and tie it up for a year.
1: Yeah, that's the game. And what's kind of delightful is obviously so many games are about business. They're mm. about you run a factory, you're a mayor, all this stuff. You know, like, but the estates feels like a game that tries to simulate you know what business really is, which is. Endless red tape, endless paperwork, horrible stuff to do with, you know... <laughs> well, the the incredibly weird thing we had in our situation, in our, in our game that we played... Yeah. Uh, three players had won the auctions for all the different colours of cubes, which means, okay, I own the red and all the green cubes, you own the grey cubes, he owns the red. One fourth player in our game, the only person who played the Estates before, back when it was Neuer Hyman, uh, Ben won no auctions for any of the building companies. And so we were all sat there going, oh my God, Ben, how are you going to win? There's no way you can get positive points. And Ben just sort of had a wry smile. And then guess what? He won that game because all he did for the rest of the game was host auctions to elongate the streets, to make sure different people won different auctions, to throw away cubes we really needed. That meant none of the streets got finished. It was meant everyone, like the highest score was something like, you know, negative eight aside from Ben. And so... It's just the bonkers thing that you kind of see in Container, whereby it models that big, big, yes. big business yes. thing, where suddenly you realise that your little
0: company owes $18 million, and then you just leave the country. This, this again, this is fascinating to me. This sounds terrific. Uh, one more question I'd, I would would ask you then. It sounds stressful as well. Is it stressful?
1: Yes. So, yeah. Um, Uh, so our review of Container was basically um, if you haven't seen it do go watch our video review of Container because I think it's really fun but our video review of Container was basically if you can handle this and you don't mind that it looks ugly this game's amazing I think our review of the Estates is going to be if you can handle this or you just want it because of how gorgeous it looks then buy the Estates it's going to be a much bigger recommendation from us but yeah my gosh Uh, this is (laughs) I didn't feel this was a terrible thing but I should preface uh you know, before people get too excited about the estates, in the one game we played, we got maybe 40 minutes into the
0: hour that it took.
1: And after 40 minutes, I knew there was... I had lost so hard that yes. there was
0: no way I would come back. And you mentioned this briefly before, that there was an amount of uh, mathing, mathing, Maths things, yes, in mathematically calculating things and realising yeah. the direction of the game.
1: Yeah, so yeah. what I did at that point, i I couldn't win and I wasn't particularly interested in... 20 minutes of, like, what do I do, pass? I I almost didn't want to be in the game because my presence would just muddy it because Mm. I don't really want to do all this intense crunching and calculation just to try and make myself not come last less. Um, So I just said, you know, I'm out. And I kind of put my cards down and I relied on the other three players to, like, figure out how to keep going without me. I didn't mind that. I don't think they minded that. But it was still a game that was so adult that I had to look at it and be like, "Mm, I'm not going to enjoy playing this anymore, so I'm going to walk away. I've had one of the funniest and best 40 minutes of my life, but I don't want to be here for the next 20 minutes. Um, So yeah, a very curious and intense and adult experience, but it didn't change for me that it was the funniest and maybe the best game I played at Gen Con, despite the fact that I walked away for the final third. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that is absolutely extraordinary to me. That is very exciting and... Like how old is this? This is a new edition. Oh, I forget. I forget. Um, yeah, I don't even know how
1: you spell Neuer Hyman. <laughs> I've only heard it in uh, spoken. I mean, if you go to Board Game Geek and look for the Estates, yeah. then it will be. It'll have on the page a reimplementation of, and you'll be able yes. to click on the old, uh, the old edition's name.
0: I do feel like this year has. We, we've had a couple of really good Rainier Rainia Kinitia Rainia Mister Doctor Kinit. We've had his games. <laughs> Over the last sort of year or two, a couple of really good re releases of those. And I do feel like what's happening right now is there the industry is reaching back into quite a storied, quite a sparkling history and pulling out some classics. And I'm kinda happy about that. I, I think it's great. I think it's just really fun. I tell you what. What? I can feel more of my mouth. Can you? Yeah. Okay. We should start the podcast again. I'll do better.
1: <laughs> no. I. Uh, what is it? You had a crown put back on, right?
0: Ah. Uh, now everyone in the world's gonna know. Yeah. It just came off like a piece of Lego, and the guy. Uh, I mean, it took a while, but it, that's basically what it seemed to be. He just reattached it like a piece of Lego. And you were
1: told that what you.
0: If it ever, when you first got the crown put in, what were you told? Oh, uh, the guy, it's very expensive. And the guy said, if it comes off, keep it. Because, because in that Lego kind of way, if there isn't anything wrong with the tooth, they should just be able to cement it back on. Wow. And it's one that I've had for a while. And I won't say how much it was. It was very expensive. And so he <laughs> said, try not to swallow it if something happens. So you
1: showed up at the dentist this week like Robocop with a piece of with yourself a, that had fallen off. Yeah. Uh,
0: and it, it was exactly as the other dentist described. It was a case of it, clicks back on they have to clean it and take some of the old cement off and make sure the tooth itself is okay all of which takes a while but then the actual process itself was fairly pain free um, and sort of diligent and careful but not complicated if that makes any sense that makes sense so what are you going to do for
1: the rest of the day
0: nothing because I can't eat or drink for like <laughs> at least a, still another couple of hours he, he said don't drink just the best thing to do is do nothing because you've got cement in your mouth I guess from the estates. From the estates. So, man, the, he's capped that tooth. I can't add any more value to it. If you... Hey! Put, oh, I nearly said something bad about putting the mare in my mouth. I no! So, thanks for listening,
1: everyone. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you know, you can give it a rate or a review. I'm yes, re- please. That's very nice. Um... We're also going to keep telling people about Shucks. Because um, <gasps> we're selling... We're much closer to like 80, 85% sold out now. Yeah, So tickets are kind of... I almost said dribbling away. That's not a good use.
0: Say, sales are constant. There's two months left for the convention, but last year we had a lot of people who kind of waited to the last minute and were very disappointed. And we, we've we got a bigger venue, and hopefully that will happen less this time. But I get the feeling... We're going to sell out? October, yeah, or maybe close to. And it's just that thing of of the amount of people last year who got in touch and were just like, oh, I wish I'd done something sooner. I wish I'd sorted this out sooner. And I think... It is good to plan these things a couple of months in advance, like now, maybe yes. so
1: in case you're not aware, Shucks is the shut up and sit-down convention. It's happening in Vancouver this October. All of the info is available on Shucks S H U X dot yes. show. Um, and there you'll find all kinds of information about our special guests the live shows we're doing yeah
0: hotel blockings and things we've reserved as of all of, of
1: this yep as of yesterday I just sent two crates of uh, my old review copies yeah to you did donated them to the board game library yeah to, which is
0: getting bigger all the time So bulk it
1: up um and, yeah, so also, that's a feature of sharks. If you get games out of our exhaustive board game library, then one of them might be mine. Or mine.
0: Or Paul's. I've, I put a lot of stuff in that last year. Oh, so you did. Yeah. So you might get
1: a little score pad, and it'll have Paul written in Paul's beautiful hand. And it'll writing. be a
0: record of me losing a Euro game to <laughs>
1: <laughs> some of my friends. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. Uh, I believe on the next podcast we're going to have some thoughts about... Uh, Ryan Eknitsy has Taj Mahal yeah uh, we've got uh, we've played Coimbra the new uh, Euro game with trade on the Tigris and trading in the tra- ooh what's that game Jeff called Engelstein. trade Tigris trade trade on the Tigris trade on the carry Tigris carry on up the uh, which is a trading a trading game will it give Siderio Confluence a run for its money you'll find out next month enjoy everybody goodbye that's not what you say at the end of the podcast enjoy that's enjoy all. have en-
0: a nice weekend have a nice weekend there <laughs> we go